0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Sami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardog, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.
0: Cheryl Chumley is an author, commentary writer, and the online opinion editor for The Washington Times. As a dedicated American patriot, Cheryl Chumley served in the U.S. Army. Cheryl Chumley is also a licensed private investigator and principal of Chumley Investigations in Virginia. Her newest book project, Socialists Don't Sleep, is timely and relevant, bringing to the forefront the resurgence of Marxist socialism and its impact in the various spheres of our American society, and how it relates to the Rule of Law Foundation and the economy. In addition to writing daily commentaries on politics, Cheryl Chumley hosts a twice-weekly podcast at The Washington Times called Bold and Blunt, and available on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast hosting sites at The Washington Times. Cheryl will focus on the concerns about the resurgence of socialism in America and its history in eroding the rule of law when looking at the examples of Eastern Europe and the new threats impacting our lives and the cyber attacks on these frontiers. So without further ado, uh, Cheryl, we welcome you uh, to this virtual summit uh, with America's Roundtable and International Leaders Summit. Welcome in Indeed, Cheryl.
1: Welcome, Cheryl. Oh, thank you both. It's great to chat with you guys, and thank you for all you guys do for freedom.
0: Cheryl, how prepared are we as a nation, specifically as it relates to government institutions in addressing cyber attacks uh, from Russia, China, and other rogue states? And especially as we look at what just happened recently uh, with the attacks uh, that infiltrated uh, the Treasury Department.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, And that is the question today, right? When I look at emerging technology and artificial intelligence, I see basically three main threats to individual freedoms, uh, to constitutional freedoms, if we're talking about here in America. Uh, The first, China. The second, lies and deceptions of our own government. And the third, the willingness of consumers and citizens to see their own individual freedoms based on safety and convenience and so, when you look at what happened with Solar Winds, that fits into the lies of government. We're, we're told time and again by government that online uh, transactions are safe, that we can do business completely electronically, and we have nothing to worry about. But when you look at Solar Winds, this is a small company out in Austin, Texas, uh, largely under the radar. And what happened was hackers were able to infiltrate some of our highest government agencies going through the back doors of solar winds. We, we have the Department of Homeland Security, the National Institutes of Health, the Treasury Department, the Department of Commerce, all hacked based on on solar winds vulnerabilities. So for government to insist that we are safe from hackers, both foreign and domestic, it defies logic. Uh, It's just time and again, American citizens, uh, global citizens, are put in vulnerable situations by governments insisting that it's it's 100% secure to do business online. Obviously, it isn't. And America is definitely not fully prepared to fight this battle. But the bigger concern is the coming administration is much less prepared to fight the battle than this current administration is.
0: Have you noticed from your research and studying on AI and cybersecurity, that the local citizenry are aware about the threats of cyber attacks, especially America's small and medium-sized enterprises that are engaged in commerce and, and more so in light of what we've noticed with the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, of doing business online rather than uh, through large institutions or bricks and mortar.
1: Absolutely. This is the way of our financial sector. This is the way of business. Going forward, I think we are going to have to deal with uh, more and more online presence from purchasing products online to conducting business like we all today are online uh, to working at home and and connecting with our employers, both in this country and overseas online. And that goes for small and medium-sized businesses. Businesses as well. So, the more online we turn, the bigger the threat, the bigger the vulnerabilities for individual consumers. And there are certain protections that individuals can take that are common sense. You know, do the, the double factor authentication when, when you have online transactions uh, for even your social media accounts. Change your passwords frequently. Don't do private transactions on public fi. These are simple things that I think fall under the radar for a lot of citizens because we're so used to doing business online that we don't pay attention to these common sense protections. And I think the media has a chance to step in and, and make more of a case, make more of a point telling citizens to take these simple protections. And so don't businesses for their own employees and consumers.
0: Uh, Cheryl, from your experiences, is there a particular sector that you're noticing that is doing a lot more in uh, shoring up greater support and apparatus to counter the threats of cybersecurity today? Are you noticing a certain model of operation here in the United States that could be a, an example for others to follow?
1: Well, you know, I would have said the, uh, the credit reporting agencies until Equifax got hacked in 2017. I would have said the banks and the financial sectors would be most out in front, and they seem to get hacked. Um, I would have said the national intelligence agencies, and look what just happened, this Last couple of weeks came to light with solar wind. So it's hard to say that there is a, a, a perfect example to go by, which goes back to my point of a couple of minutes ago that it's more and more important for the individual citizen, uh, the individual consumer, to protect self and family and take whatever steps they can to reduce vulnerabilities on private sector or government to protect your online presence.
0: In regard to the issue of socialism in America, which you have outlined in your most recent book, Uh, Socialists Don't Sleep, earlier on we had a conversation about the history of socialism in America. As many look at it today, they realize that it's something that is affecting us now, but it was 100 years ago where we saw this rise of socialism, and uh, Natasha Serdovich has communicated so effectively, having lived in former uh, Yugoslavia and understanding what communism and socialism has done uh, with the disregard for the rule of law, uh, the disregard for property rights, and we see those twin legacies impacting Eastern Europe even to this day. What are some of the concerns that uh, you have outlined in your book uh, when looking at socialism in America, and what can citizens do to be able to address uh, this rise which is actually an affront to our liberties, our freedom, and the rule of law in America.
1: The number one reason socialism has crept into America's society and politics and culture is because society and culture has turned from God. The limited government principles that we so cherish in this country are based on Judeo-Christian principles put in effect by founding fathers. And if you had to sum up American exceptionalism in just a small phrase, It's the idea that our rights, our individual rights, come from God, not government. So that's not just a blessing. It carries a responsibility, too. The responsibility is that the citizens and elected leaders of our country have to be have to be constrained by belief in a higher power. Their moral compass can't come from just within because as the political world change, the whims of the politicians change. So we always have to take our principles and virtues from something higher. What's happened lately in America is that we have grown more secular. And simultaneously, we have a big, bigger, biggest government, socialist government, collectivist type government coming into the picture these aren't coincidences. Once you turn from God, that creates a void for government to step in. And that's what's happening in America. So the number one solution to drive out socialism in America is to bring back God onto the public arena. Uh, We need a thriving, active church community. We need politicians who aren't afraid to speak boldly for Judeo-Christian principles. And the number two thing we can do is address our public school system because because we have at the same time growing secularism in America and a, a growing socialist presence in our political uh, stage. We have an emerging youth who are being trained to hate America, to hate capitalism, and hate the very Judeo-Christian principles that keep our country grounded in freedoms. So our public school systems need to be brought back to the point where they teach truthful civics, truthful history, and, and truthful constitutional interpretation. As applied to modern day news and events.
0: And Cheryl, uh, we have been able to review what was transpiring in Great Britain. Sir Ivan Lawrence was working alongside Lady Thatcher or the Iron Lady, Prime Minister Thatcher in Britain. And uh, they were experiencing the rise of socialism uh, as they were at that very moment in the 1970s and 80s addressing the Soviet Union and some of the great challenges of that particular time. What can we learn from Prime Minister Thatcher? and her leadership in addressing the ills of uh, socialism and perhaps its uh, specific lessons for the United States? Well,
1: I think Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and I I can't remember the exact words, but to paraphrase her, socialism is great until other people's money runs out. And, you know, that is the, the evil genius of socialism. For politicians, it's great because they can talk about taking tax dollars in giving to this group and that group. And the rich people are wicked and evil because they take from the labors of the poorer people. So it's only righteous that we take money from the rich to give to the poor. It's that Robin Hood type of redistributing wealth that if you're a politician, that's a great platform for the low information voter, for the voters who don't understand that that system is only good for the short term. So we need to keep in mind Margaret Thatcher's great theme here that if you keep taking money from the rich or from those who, who pay the taxes to give to those who don't contribute to society by way of creativity or production or tax dollars themselves, that there comes a time where the balance becomes you're giving out more than you have. So one of the principles that we can take from this is to teach our younger generations just the common sense application of socialism, that while it sounds great coming from a politician's mouth in terms of promises of gifts and benefits and, say, free college here and free health care there and free child care here and there, what happens after a very short time is that the money runs out. And to me, that's a simple way of selling the truths of socialism to an emerging youth who, who need to understand practical aspects of of how you take from one to give to another. Soon enough, the wallets run dry. So I I just think that she put socialism's evil in a common sense way that even pro-socialist people can understand that today.
0: Indeed, Cheryl, one of the things that we have observed, for example, in Eastern Europe, when looking at Russia or Hungary, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, a great number of these countries, Yugoslavia, uh, for example, that had socialist policies. And one of the key areas that we noticed that it affected the most uh, was the rule of law, independent judicial judiciaries uh, was the importance of legal reforms. And we have noticed in all of these Eastern European countries, the greatest weakness is the rule of law. And a number of those that are the reform leaders within Europe in general, continental Europe, have always gone back to the concerns of socialists policies that work toward weakening the rule of law, weakening property rights, because that's where the government uh, would have greater control over private property. We see that as being a great stumbling block to the restitution of private property that was confiscated during the Holocaust period, taken away from Jewish families and institutions. And what we see today in a number of these countries, including Hungary and Croatia, is that these legacies are alive and well impacting a society. So socialism is not just only an economic impact that adversely affects citizens, but it also erodes the rule of law. And, And what are your thoughts about it when we talk about it in this context?
1: Well, if you want to look at how the rule of law, uh, the erosion of rule of law decimates a society, just look at what's taking place right now in America with the coronavirus. We have a coronavirus in our country, around the world, that fear is the basic theme that governors in our 50 states are using to clamp down on individual rights. You know, the the national emergency, the national health emergency that was declared and then taken up by the state's governors in their own districts to label a national health emergency in their own states has been just really used to clamp down on individual freedoms. The the so called private property rights of business owners, for instance, and their ability to go to those private properties and engage in commerce and support their own families, that has been shut. The private property rights of independent private schools to open doors to students and allow students to come in for in-person instruction, those rights have been clamped. So what you have now because of the coronavirus is just governors, power-hungry, power mad governors using executive orders which are not duly passed laws they're not provisions that have gone through the legislative route and put to the citizens to decide whether or not that they want these laws in place or not they're just governor governors using executive orders to mandate restrictions on citizens in their own states and that is much more the way of a tyrant than it is of a rule of law limited government nation so if, if you want an example how, uh, how much you need the rule of law, just look at the suffering people of America under the clamp, under the boot of executive orders from governors.
0: Thank you so much, Cheryl, for relaying this important message, and we encourage uh, our listeners and those that are following us on podcasts to certainly seek out this book, Socialists Don't Sleep, the newest book from Cheryl Chumley, the opinion, uh, the online opinion editor at The Washington Times. And uh, thank you, Cheryl, for your concise and present uh, thoughts that you have outlined, uh, and uh, we thank you so much for your leadership indeed.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you.
0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Sami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardoch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit.
0: Visit iLeadersSummit.org.